I have, uh, I have, I have, uh, I have to come clean. <laughs> I know what this is. <laughs> so I, uh, I went through uh, Steam Left, and uh, that's that site that you plug in your Steam account, and then it tells you how many hours of your life it would take to complete your gameplay. Uh, and this is for the games in my library that are uncompleted, uh, 3,405 continuous hours, or in other words, I would have wow. to play for 141 days, 21 hours, and 15 minutes straight to complete my Steam library at this point. Do it. I could sail to Hawaii from L.A. Uh, uh, 20 times. Every time you load it, it gives you a different stat, too. Uh, I could watch the entire Star Trek, the original series, 51 times, uh, which that's probably pretty close to what I would actually do. I could work 85 full weeks, <laughs> watch every Simpsons episode 15 times. Uh, I could film the Blair Witch Project 17 times. Well, I think that's exactly what I would do. So there you go. That's that's my shame right there. Steam Left. You can go to steamleft.com and then plug your uh, Steam profile in there and see how many hours it would take you to complete. That's a sign that I've been buying too many uh, too many Steam games for Linux. And mine's under 500. <laughs> I could drive across Russia 44 times. 4,219 continuous hours for me. 141 wow. for me. Wow. <clears throat> 572 hours for Keller. Okay. Yeah, so Popey, I got you beat a little bit, a little bit, just a bit. Do you guys see the? Hey, so what proportion of your game are Linux games, and what proportion? Are oh, Windows good question. Games? You know, because I've been a Steam user for a long time, uh, but I have quite a bit of Steam. I mean, it's uh, should I? Let's see. I, I could open it up. Let's find out. Quite a bit of my games are Linux games, because I now once 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 they came out for Linux, I just kind of only started buying. Uh, so I've got in total two hundred and six games, Ooh. and of of those, oh, okay. 104 are Linux. Damn. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm pulling up Steam right now. Stand by. Updating user configuration, says Steam. Whatever the... Uh, <laughs> your home directory, is that what it's saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So I have, uh, I have 238 games of 169 of which are Linux. That's a good proportion. That's good. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's writing down the information of things super highway. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey, Matt, you know it's all about the Internet of Things today. Oh, it is. Do you have all your things interneted at your, at your place, Matt? I actually do have a hub, oh. although I only have two sensors active. Oh, <laughs> you got more yeah. Internet of Things than I do, although I do have Hughes lights, and I think those are considered Ooh. Internet of Things, yeah. They are. Yeah. They are. I know. I need to up nice. my game. I need to get like a nest. I need to get everything connected and get it reporting and talking to dashboards. I need more dashboards. Smart things, dude. Yeah. It's got open source stuff going on there. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, t- coming up on today's episode of Linux Unplugged, Ubuntu is prepped to take over the Internet of Things devices. And we're going to see if it's actually a real initiative or something they just slapped together once they saw CoreOS. We'll talk about that. And then later on in the show, there's been a big who brouhaha between Google and Microsoft about the disclosure of patches in Windows. And Google just recently released uh, some information about a security flaw in Windows just a couple of days before Patch Tuesday, and Microsoft got all upset about it, and it created this big debate again online. Well, uh, Linus Torvalds was speaking at a keynote, and he was asked about public disclosures of bugs. He stated his stance on it. It's a little controversial, and we'll play a clip of that later on in the show. And then also... Somebody tried to pinline us down and get him to say, hey, how come the documentation isn't very good? And what are you going to do about improving the documentation of a Linux kernel? 
And you probably, you won't believe Linus' response. I, like, I have not seen this covered anywhere else. And when I heard yeah. it, I'm like, how is this not news? So we'll play a clip of that, too. So I think it should be a good show today, Matt. Nice. Yeah. And we got some great feedback, too, from the audience. So I just picked out a few good ones. Lots of more emails we're going to try to get to, but just a couple this week. So before we get into all of that, let's bring in the Mumble Room. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. 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 Boy, aren't you just a handsome bunch. Look at you guys. Looking really good today. You know uh, you know what it might be is uh, I noticed this Ubuntu Mate desktop seems to have really great fonts out of the box. Maybe that's what it is. Everybody's looking real good. So uh, Earl writes in, uh, really to Matt. Earl writes in and uh, he addresses, he says, Matt, I listened to your enthusiasm for the Ubuntu Mate a few times now. I'd like to try it. I started yeah. using Linux with Ubuntu 14.10, and I've been, a re- I've been a user ever since. I went to Linux Mint when Ubuntu had to abandon GNOME 2. My problem is I generally use Wi-Fi from the public library, and when I can't use torrents. I tried HTTP sites listed in Europe, but I keep getting a timeout after an hour or so when downloading Ubuntu Mate. Do you know if there's an HTTP site in the U.S.? I maintain several computers running Mint Mate for friends, and the only thing I don't like about having it is having to reinstall after every upgrade. And no, Chris... I'm not going to GNOME 3. I'm 70 years old, and I don't need that frustration. GNOME 3 should be put out to pasture with a bullet between its eyes. Earl. Uh, and I know Wimpy's here, too. Wimpy, do you have any advice if he's having problems downloading a Mate edition in, uh, in Europe? Uh, well, no. Unfortunately, all of the mirrors are in Europe. Um, the only thing I could suggest is grabbing the torrents, but he seems to imply yeah. that he hasn't got yeah. access to the torrent. So if you're going to so, do an HTTP download, it's coming for a, from a European server. It's kind of just the way it is right now. Or, um, well, uh, the Ubuntu Mate community have been very generous in donating to uh, host a new community site, and there's some surplus funds. So what I'll do is I'll put up a mirror in North America and I'll send you the details and maybe you can put me in touch with this guy oh, and we'll put an American mirror up. How's that? Oh, wow. How about that, Earl? There's That's a custom awesome. solution right there for you. Uh, very good. Uh, all right. Well, and, you know, uh, I was going to say, my otherwise, my go-to would be, yeah, definitely go with Torrance. It's a shame that the public libraries block that, but I guess I understand why they do it. It's got to be for piracy. So I would imagine so. It's kind of a blanket solution, but yeah. Yeah, block all of the things just in case it gets used for something bad. Armani yeah. writes in, uh, and he wanted to comment on the Mac Exodus topic we've been touching on. Hey, guys, I came to contribute to all the Mac Exodus talk when I realized something kind of funny. All of my experience with Linux has been on Apple hardware. Well, except for my Nexus 5, which I have Ubuntu on. Back in high school, before I even had a Mac, I was running Linux on my iPod. This made me pretty popular among the nerd crowd, and I ended up loading up with a bunch of my friends' iPods as well. Needless to say, the rest of the Apple plebes on campus were pretty jealous. When all, not only did I have video before the iPod video was out, but I also got to play Doom. Anyway, now nice. I have a MacBook Pro running Ubuntu 14.10. I made the switch to 12.04 a couple of years back, and that's when I discovered Jupiter Broadcasting. After a couple of months, it became my daily driver. Then somewhere around 13.10... I switched to Ubuntu GNOME and fell in love. Now I'm hooked on Linux and an avid listener of your shows. One thing is for sure, though. I'll probably never buy anything from Apple again. Maybe I'll go for the new Dell XPS 13. Huh. So, yeah, he sent a picture along to me. It looks nice. It looks like an older MacBook, so uh, maybe that gives him a little less problems. And he's got GNOME on there. Uh, has, ha- have you seen this Dell XPS 13? Have, have you seen this? I have not actually seen it. I've been hearing a lot about it. Um, and I, you know, because of my completely ridiculous bigotry toward Dell. I mm-hmm. purposely haven't mm-hmm. looked, but no, it does natural. sound like 
Yeah. yeah, but it does sound like that they are onto something, and it would definitely signal to others that they need to catch up to that. Perhaps. Well, I'm doing Popey a favor. Uh, see, uh, I know that Popey is eventually he's like he's riding this ThinkPad of this old busted ThinkPad of his for a really <laughs> long time, and he's trying to ride right. it out. And eventually, he's going to have to pull the trigger and get something. Right. And uh, so, I just I want to be there for him. So I went ahead and I picked up a uh, XPS 13 Ultrabook, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it here. In just a second, why I got it, the all of the horrible experiences I've had with Dell, which confirm all of the problems that I have with Dell, uh, and oh, okay. why I think this might make a great machine. So I, I <clears> will uh, I will comment on this in just a second and uh, kind of tell you where my head's at with grabbing this Dell laptop. But first, why don't I tell you about Linux Academy? Let's start right there because Linux Academy is pretty great. And I think it's something that's worth checking out. If you've heard some of these technologies out there that sure seem pretty fancy, you know, things like Puppet. Nginx, OpenStack, virtualization, Docker, all that kind of stuff. You know, the things that are fundamental to being successful in this space now? Well, Linux Academy has incredible courseware on all of it. You go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. That's a special Linux Unplugged discount. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You're going to get the 33% discount. They have step-by-step video courses for all of their courseware, downloadable, comprehensive study guides, live streams where you can ask the educators questions directly. Stuff comes with its own server. So if you are if you have a course on AWS or maybe you're learning uh-huh. something with Nginx, you know, whatever something's in that range, you actually get to play with the technology, set up the system, look at the config file. They give you a public address and you get to bang on it like a real box. That way you've had true, legitimate experience with it. And as you go, each section is broken out, tells you how long you've got to complete. It gives you reminders if you need to. And if you're tight on time, they have custom learning plans. You go in there and just set your availability. And then it automatically generates a custom plan just for you with reminders and all that kind of good stuff. I just got a note, too, that they've been refreshing the Nginx and Docker courses specifically to make sure they stay current. This is one of the other things that's really great about Linux Academy is they're keeping all of that stuff fresh, always making sure that it's got the most relevant, latest information so that way when you go take that courseware, it's totally up to date. The other thing that's super slick about it is they have seven-plus Linux distributions you can choose from. Whichever distribution you pick, then the courseware automatically adjusts to that distribution, including, like, the virtual machine and all of that. So, you know, you say CentOS. Well, the courseware is all CentOS. The virtual machine images sent OS, all of the environment, all the commands and all of the courseware, everything sent OS. Next time you go through, you choose an Ubuntu rig, same thing. Super slick. The reason is because these are people that are crazy passionate about Linux and open source, right? These are people that really care about this. It's not a generic education facility where they've got everything from fixing your sink to working in Adobe After Effects. That's not what Linux Academy does. They're hyper-focused on this stuff. It's a bunch of Linux enthusiasts, educators, and developers that came together to create Linux Academy. And you can get in on the action over at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Special discount just for the show, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go check out Linux Academy and see all the cool courseware they have available. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged Show. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was really not so sure. I, I watched CES. I watched all the hardware that came out of CES. And I, I think out of everything that, that was shown, I was the most impressed by the XPS 13 Ultrabook by Dell, which surprised me because I'm not generally a Dell fan. And I've been kind of stuck in this, like, what am I going to do? I need to move my hardware situation around for a little while. Right. And the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge is that you can buy from Dell directly with Bitcoin, which really surprised oh, me. Like the whole thing really? from end to end, like all the accessories, uh, the laptop oh. itself, it's one-click Bitcoin, it's tied in with Coinbase, and you're done. That is super a super, super neat system. Uh, and so that was sort of like the final deciding factor for me to go pull the trigger on the, on the XPS 13. So here's what I got. 
Is it and, the new edge-to-edge uh, screen one? Yes. Yep, with the uh, 3200 Ooh. by 1800 display. Yeah. Wait, 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 nice. wait, 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 wait. Did you buy the <laughs> Windows one? I did. I did. Yes. And oh, here's why. Man. Well, here's why. Wah, wah. I'm not I'm not a big Dell fan and I have I really have very little faith that getting their next Sputnik version versus this is going to make a huge difference, but I figure either way if they ship that eventually it'll probably benefit this one. And and essentially I need something it's now. It's going to make a big difference to your freedom, my friend. Well, I don't mind having the Windows license. I don't have any licensed copies of Windows right now. And that about twice a year becomes about a real pain in my ass where I consider buying Windows and then I never can actually oh, yeah. make myself do it. So now I'm like, well, now I have the license. So it, right. that's good for some stuff. I wanted to kind of – the reason why I wanted to go buy it now is I wanted to get out ahead of it just basically for the purposes of having it for a little while. So by the time they do ship something, I'll have a really sound opinion on the hardware itself so I can talk about it to the audience from a pretty educated standpoint. Because if this is a nice laptop, as nice as I think it's going to be, this could be the Linux MacBook. Potentially, I think. And so I I wanted to grab it now and I wanted to have an educated opinion about it. So that way, when the Linux version does ship, I can talk to the audience from a pretty educated standpoint on it. It won't be maybe a one to one, but hopefully it'll be really close. So that's another reason why I kind of pulled the trigger early on it. So what I got with it was eight gigabytes of RAM, a 512 gigabyte SSD. It's got the i7 uh, 550 processor, 13 inch display. But because it's edge to edge, it actually fits like in an 11 point something housing, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and good news, it comes with McAfee Live Safe Image trial version. Oh, so, that's important. Yeah, yeah, so I can get that installed. I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> Garbage. Yeah. Uh, and and then so this ships with the uh, fifth gen uh, new Broadwell chip. Ooh, and okay. uh, I was looking at a review, and I don't, you know, I take it for what it is because it comes from Forbes. No, no, if it's yeah. Forbes, but uh, they they were saying <laughs> yeah, okay. that they were seeing a 20 percent uh, GPU speed improvement uh, over the previous uh, Iris graphics. So a twenty percent is—I mean—that was already getting pretty close. There was some serious casual gaming you could, serious casual gaming you could do. So that's pretty uh, healthy. That's pretty healthy. I'll get the machine. I will probably not yeah. even boot it into Windows. <laughs> do I? Do you need to? Do you need to boot it into Windows, or can you just immediately format it? I've not bought a laptop uh, I would with Windows. Probably, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember now because it's been a bit. Uh, I, I don't think it. No, I don't think it matters. Um, if you live, yeah, if you live disk it. I, actually, I don't know because that. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm not sure. Mm. I I I, su- mm-hmm. I suppose. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping this is going to be the I it, I I don't know. I'm hoping this is going to be like sort of the, like the laptop that a lot of people want to get to run Linux. We'll see. I'll yeah. give you my review. My my gut feeling is. I would probably boot into Windows first. If you're going to keep it and you're not going to do one of these, uh, try and get a Windows refund. If you're going to keep the Windows license, then I would boot into it at least and clonezilla it onto a USB uh, so you've got a copy of it. Yeah. But also... It makes me feel dirty. Keep it. Well, yeah. But I would also check the Dell website for any BIOS updates and do those while you're in Windows before oh, you wipe sure. it, just right, in case. right. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point, actually, because you know, they got the utilities for all that garbage. That. This so. is stuff you got to consider when you buy a Windows machine to, to run Linux. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it really is. Some of the reviews are saying that 15-hour battery life is a bit of an exaggeration. It's more like seven hours of battery life if you get the high-res screen. Yeah. What a well, it's probably 15 hours when you like turn the brightness down to nothing. You <laughs> turn don't off the touch Wi-Fi, any turn part off the of it. Turn off everything. Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, Run it at that, 1080p. You know? uh, yeah. yeah. Have it plugged in, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um... So, anyways, I'll give my update soon, uh, and mm. we'll see how it goes. I don't know. I mean, it's. it's it I mean, the... so at the end of the day, you really kind of come out winning in that you bought it with Bitcoin. That's kind of cool. Yeah, 
Yeah, I and, mean, and not only cool, not only that, you know? but I bought it like back on the seventh or the eighth, which uh, Bitcoin was still about worth almost three hundred dollars when I did it. <laughs> oh well, yeah, then there you go. So, yeah, so you got a little little hedge to your edge. Yeah, a little you know? bit. Yeah, although I, now I feel like maybe this is a bad time to use Bitcoin because usually what happens when the price goes down like this is a bunch of people start buying and it starts steadily going up for a while. So I True. might I might come out on the bad end of that possibility. When- Huh. Yeah, there's a possibility. Uh, Matt, I'm going to try giving uh, a guest a call. Let's see if... Uh, see right. if hey, Christian, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you great. Sure Thanks can. for coming on the show. So, Matt, this is uh, Christian. He's working on Gnome Builder. And awesome. you're probably familiar. We've talked about the Indiegogo project that's going on. Christian, welcome to Linux Unplugged. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, no problem. So uh, congratulations, by the way, on the success of the Gnome Builder uh, project. That seems like that's that Indiegogo has probably gone better than you expected, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, significantly better than I expected. I I tried to set some some pretty ambitious goals, but at a very very reasonable price point. And uh, I, I I'm hoping that people saw that and and really came out to help. Well, what struck me about it is uh, is you seem like maybe you're a crazy person because you quit your full time job to do this. Uh, why take that risk? And you did that even before you launched the fundraiser. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been a part of the free software community for a long time, and and uh, at some point, I just I decided that fixing the tools that we're all using is far more important than individual career growth to me. So I had a pretty kick-ass job too. I was working at MongoDB, working on their C driver, and it's a great group of people there. They really care about free software. There's a reason why the product's AGPL licensed. But ultimately, this this was the most important thing I could be doing. So I, I really had to make the switch. That's very impressive and, and very I mean very admirable. Uh, so when you launched the uh, fundraiser, has has the scope of what Gnome Builder is going to include uh, expanded quite a bit since the uh, funding kicked in? Well, you know, it, it really determines how much you know and for how long people are willing to support me. Like, uh, yes, I wanted I want all of these features in there. Um, you know, I knew that. For me to be able to be successful this, with this, the most important thing I can do is build Builder with Builder. So that meant the first priority is C. And so we need C. Builder has to be written in C for technical reasons. We want to reuse as much of the software as we can. We want to reuse Glade. We want to reuse DevHelp. We want to reuse GitG, um, GTK SourceView. And all these things are best integrated from C. So that didn't mean that we don't want to support Vala, you know, it doesn't mean we don't want to support Python or JavaScript or any of these other languages in a first class way. It just means that like our priority had to be this first. So I knew that a lot of people would really care about those languages and I really want to support them. It just, you know, it's, it can't be the first thing to be done. We can't, you know, put the cart before the horse. Right. That makes sense. I mean, focusing like that means that you get that right. And then once you get that right, you move on from there. It, but this looks this looks like maybe, is it going to become a general IDE for GNOME eventually? Like all kinds of languages in there, all kinds of support? I mean, th- that is certainly my goal. I, I, you know, I don't care what language you write GNOME software in. And most of us don't. So anything I can do to bring more people in and more people contributing, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to do that. You know, we already have basic support for some of these languages. You already get like air reporting for Vala. You already get air reporting for Go if you have a, like a working mm. Go setup. Mm. So, you know, even beyond GNOME, someday that, that's quite possible. But I definitely want to stay focused myself on, like, how do we build GNOME software better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, it seems like this would be a great tool for when somebody asks the question, where do I get started? People can say, okay, get started with Builder and go from there, which is 
is such a it seems like such a simple thing to be able to say but we have lacked that one coherent answer for so long that I've talked to a lot of developers who've been put off by that it just seems like there's so many choices and this represents well if you're going to go gnome if you're going to do gtk start here now that itself is a huge goal and so I'm pretty impressed that you've raised $42,000 but what happens 6 7 8 months from now this is your full-time job that funding sort of begins to wane how do you how do you make it ongoing? What what's the trick there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the I think a really important thing is to to number one build a really strong community, so we can all share the burden. But on on the point that you mentioned there of having like a single answer to tell people, like that is that is really really important. For my time spending like helping people get started in free software, almost always the first question is how do I get started, and it's a really monumental thing to get over. And you look at something like Android or whatever, you know, they have an IDE that you install. And there's, there's other choices, but there's, there's a, a blessed sort of way. And you enable developer mode on your phone. I'd really like to see that in terms of GNOME, you know, where you're just able to enable developer mode in the control settings. And all of a sudden you have a, a complete development environment and everything else is, taken, uh, is, is done underneath the hood and you don't have to worry about it. So would your would a goal of yours be maybe to have Builder almost kind of considered a part of of a, of a GNOME desktop, maybe like in developer mode where it's can, almost under the branch of GNOME? Absolutely. Fascinating. I mean, this is this is I think I, I I've contributed. I think it's just a great project initiative. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, so Christian, uh, you I guess you're already working now. So does anything change for you now that this is successful, or are you just plowing on forward? Well, you know, the, the last couple of weeks I've been so busy with, with uh, you know, fundraising and, and communicating with people. And, and so the amount of code I've gotten written in, in January is significantly less than all, all of the other months. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to just, you know, putting the blinders on and writing code again. Yeah, absolutely. I bet. Well, uh, we'll have a link to the Indiegogo. I, I recommend anybody wants to go back at six days left. And uh, I think this is a great initiative, and it's a hu- you're solving a huge problem just from the development people that I've talked to. So keep up the great work, and thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so check it out, everybody. We'll have a link in the show notes. That's Gnome Builder, and uh, I, I, uh, I think it's a great initiative. Oh, it sounds like it. Okay, guys. So why don't we take a quick moment right here uh, and talk about something pretty neat. Uh, DigitalOcean has just recently rolled out free BSD support. DigitalOcean is a sponsor of the Linux Unplugged show. And I want you to head over there and try it out. There's a lot of great things you can do, including CoreOS, Ubuntu, Fedora, now free BSD, And we've got a brand new promo code for the, for the year, which is kind of like it makes me feel all official. It's DO Unplugged. Do unplugged so cool. one yeah one word lowercase real easy and it's going to give you a ten dollar credit over at Digital Ocean what what, what? Digital what yeah Digital Ocean Digital Ocean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server you can get started in less than fifty five seconds and pricing plans start only five dollars a month for five hundred twelve megabytes of RAM a twenty gigabyte SSD one CPU and a terabyte a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. And yeah, their London one's super fancy. Go figure. But that they're all they're, just check out their Instagram feed. They're all fancy. I'll tell you what's super fancy though. 
that interface of digital oceans. The dashboard they've got, it's like amazing. It's a bar setter. It truly is simple and intuitive, but yet extremely powerful. And you can replicate the functionality on a larger scale with DigitalOcean straightforward API, which is so sweet because if you're lazy like I am, there's already a whole bunch of people making great apps out there for you. And you can just like snap it right into Puppet. You can take advantage of it like from your Android app. You can be taking snapshots of your droplets. I mean, it's full-fledged nuts how awesome it already is for you. But all that said, like if you're like a go-getter and like you can do things fancy, like use APIs, then have at it. Like more power to you. Go over to digitalocean.com. Spin up a droplet. Create a GitLab, a WordPress, a Ghost, own cloud, BitTorrent, Sync, you name it. So many things, a Minecraft server, a Mumble server, a Jitsi server, the backend server for your crazy Ruby JBot script. Not that I would know. Any of that kind of stuff, it's your own server up in the cloud that you get root access to. DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code DO Unplugged. All one word, DO Unplugged, lowercase. You get a $10 credit. Try the $5 rig two months for free. The $5 rig two months for free with DO Unplugged. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean. You guys freaking rock. You guys freaking rock. And I think it's so cool that you just keep on expanding and adding all this cool stuff, even if it is a BSD. I'm just really glad they're adding FreeBSD support because it makes my 2015 predictions a little bit closer to reality. So I think that's, totally I'm all jacked up about that. I think that's great. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, DO Unplugged when you check out, and a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged show. You guys are cray cool, cray cool. You know, I was actually, I don't know if you caught this on uh, Google+, Plus. I was talking about spinning up a couple instances of Ghost. Oh, um, yeah. Something that, it's Ghost. overdue. Uh, I have some sites that would just benefit more from going that way, yeah. and it's just like, it make it's so minimalist, and it just, yep. boom. You know what I mean? I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm all in on that. Okay. So uh, let's talk about the big announcement from uh, Canonical and uh, Mark Shuttleworth today. Smart things and the Internet of Things or whatever you want to call it, little boards with ARM chips and, and, and network connectivity powered by Ubuntu Snappy Core, that brand new fancy version of Ubuntu that we've heard a lot about recently. And uh, I thought to get us started, in order, instead of me blabbing on about it, uh, let's join Mark Shuttleworth. Uh, in his home, <laughs> I like. <laughs> I, I love yeah. this. I can't help it because you know I do video production, so I notice things that make it not quite like a web home cam video, like the fact that he's mic'd with a wireless mic pack, and and that this. Oh yeah. Although, but anyways, it's still a great video for Mark. So Mark's going to give us a big introduction to Snappy Ubuntu Core for smart devices for ARM and x86. I actually think this is kind of a smart move. So uh, let's hear it. Let's hear it in his words. Hello and welcome to my home. Uh, I'm absolutely inspired at the moment by the entrepreneurs and the inventors who are creating this next generation of extraordinary devices. Uh, And I don't mean PCs and phones. I mean all of the automation that is quietly transforming our homes and our lives. Uh, This is my house. I could give you a tour. It wouldn't be a very long one. It's a small house. Um, There are two of us who live here and two dogs. Um, And yet this morning, uh, walking around, I counted 16 little boxes that I think are running Linux uh, and which are doing all sorts of things from home automation to entertainment and security. And I think over the next year or two, that number is going to continue to grow uh, with devices that make our lives more interesting, safer, more secure, uh, more efficient, more environmentally friendly uh, and, uh, and richer in many, many different ways. So I want to celebrate that extraordinary progress. And I also, as somebody who really believes in the power of open source uh, to unleash creativity, I want to celebrate that the vast majority of these devices today do run Linux. Uh, That's an enormous success 
uh, for all of us in the Linux community. But they don't necessarily run Ubuntu, do they? Uh, and I okay, so let's start mm-hmm. here. Uh, so Ubuntu Snappy, those of you remember, it's the transactionally ready version of Ubuntu. So if an update goes back, you just roll back uh, and you're good to go. It makes a lot of sense to have this on devices, sort of like our sort of embedded appliance-like devices that need to be super reliable. Uh, and I think it's all that's all well and good. I'm reading this interview, though, with Mark Shuttleworth over at GigaOM, and something starts to smell a little off to me. And I, I don't mean to be a naysayer, but what I'm reading, what I'm reading is, and of course, GigaOM takes it to the extreme, right? Robots embrace Ubuntu as it invades Internet of Things. Oh, God, I love the tech press. Really? And they show a picture <laughs> of a drone, wild. right? So no, no subtleties That's, there. Oh, boy. But here's what it reads to me as. Uh, it reads to me as a company that is extremely good at turning on a dime and then putting mm-hmm. an outward presentation as if it's been part of the grand scheme it's all part of a master stroke. It's all under control. And here's what I mean. If you read through this, what you get is, well, all that time we spent on mobile is all totally worth it because we invented this super cool way to do transactional updates. And now we're going to move that over to Snappy Core. In fact, it sounds like I'm being mean. But in here, Mark Shuttleworth is, is actually quoted as, here, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read a quote and then you can see where I'm coming from. Two years okay. ago, we started seeing a lot of what I'd call alpha developers starting to tinker with what, at the time, people called embedded development. We realized there was a very interesting commonality between the work we were doing for mobile, specifically this update mechanism work, and things you'd want to do if you were to build a product around one of these boards. Canonical had invested in the container capabilities of the Linux kernel as it happened for the mobile story, Shuttleworth said, as it needed to fix security issues on the phone, such as isolating untr- untrusted apps from the address book, etc. He went on to say, Docker is based on those primitives that we built. So kind of what he's saying is, you know, everybody uh-huh. that's working on Project Atomic or Core OS and Docker, uh-huh. well, we were kind of onto this a long time ago when we started working on the phones. In fact, they're even kind of relying on some of the fundamentals that we built. We, we haven't had our eye off the game, off the ball this entire time. We've actually been working on this and moving it over. Now, that's partially very true, right? That is exactly what's happened. But at the same time, I don't necessarily believe it was this grand master plan so much as an ability to recognize a need in the market and sort of pivot really quick and then paint it very broadly in these sort of grandiose terms. If you take a step back, huh. uh, yeah, to a layman it, like yeah, me, I, what Ubuntu Core actually is. Okay, so, uh, and, and feel free, anybody, Popey, anybody, Wimpy, that wants to correct me, I, I'm going to probably just give a real quick summary. So the Snappy Core, we, we covered it before more in depth, but Think of your base operating system as super minimal, read-only file system. Applications and stuff are done in containers or something like that. And then when there's a system update, you just replace that read-only image with the new, with the new image of, the, of a new file system that's been fully updated. The container applications are untouched because their updates are handled independently inside the container. You reboot. If the system doesn't boot successfully, you just sw- simply switch back to the other read-only image, and now you're right back to where you were before any updates were applied. Doesn't sound too uh, dissimilar from something like CoreOS, maybe in terms of concept. Right, exactly. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is they see the market, and I think this is a. I think Ubuntu for these types of devices is a great maneuver. Um, I don't know though. I just feel like we're being sold a little bit of a, a little bit of a sales pitch, a little bit of a story, to use Mark's words, and it just stinks so, a little bit. So, from from my perspective, I I can see why you know we we do this big. 
marketing push and you guys have not heard of this at all until today and prior to that there was the um snappy ubuntu core announcement you know a few weeks back uh, that talked about the cloud um and you know I know that this stuff has been bubbling under for a while, and I know how it can seem like uh, it's taking advantage of a you know um, a bit of marketing to make it look like uh, we've been working on this for a while. But I I look back and think about conversations that I've had with Mark and other people at Canonical over the years, and I've I've only worked for Canonical for three and a bit years, and I remember my my first week talking about how we're going to do these transactional updates how we're going to do this read-only image how we're going to do these kind of things that we're going to need in this future and i see mark as a a very a very clever guy he's very astute and he knows what the future holds or he he has some idea of what the the future holds and he puts in place these little markers and gets things ready for you know, some some distant way in the future, and it might look like it makes no sense right now. It doesn't it doesn't look like anything you might need right now. But then, when the pieces start to land, it all kind of comes together. And, that, and I think that's what I like this, that. this is. And that makes of. sense. But I think part of the reason why it feels a little so the reason why it feels a little salesy is, for example, quote from Mark: "Let us deliver those updates to your device with the same efficiency as with the phone." Well, that is based on a preposition that they that there has been reliable updates shipped to the phone. I mean, yes, in beta testing, well, but have. that you well, just, you just aren't using it. Well, I actually, I, actually, my Nexus Five got screwed up by an update, but I realized it wasn't an effective device. Which is device. not a supported right. device. But you right, see, exactly. it's sort of based on it's 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 not a, it's not a sound claim to make. You can't truly because it hasn't been done at scale, right? It hasn't. It's not actually genuinely done at scale the way that that quote sort of implies. Like if you were a if you did not follow this very closely and you read that quote on GigaOM where it's posted, you would assume that Canonical right now has a history of shipping software updates to thousands, maybe even millions of devices by reading that quote, right? It's not, but well, it's taken thousands a of devices, and it's certainly over the past two years that thousands of devices have been receiving. Uh, updates over the air every day reliably, including you know machines in our data center that we do QA on and machines that are held by developers I mean, I, and machines I, that are held I by agree, enthusiastic and it's, users. It's a sound I, system. I agree with you that there aren't, there aren't millions. That we're not at the scale of iOS or Android yet, but there it is still a reliable and proven mechanism because you know thousands of devices use it. Okay, let me ask you what you think about this because I agree. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong either. I'm just saying... It's stated in a way where if you didn't have the full context, you might get a misrepresentation of the scale. But, I mean, that's fair. I mean, that's that's within his right to do. Uh, okay, here's a question that I thought was kind of astute of GigaOM to ask. So they asked, is Core is Ubuntu Core the WinCE of Ubuntu or the future of the venerable Linux distro? Shuttleworth was adamant to say that the Debian package version of Ubuntu will never go away because it is the mechanism with which we collaborate amongst ourselves and with Debian. And should be a continued relevance to developers. Uh, I, I don't know, Popey. Like, honestly, seems like if this Ubuntu Snappy Core works good for the phone, it works good for a Raspberry Pi, it works good for my SCADA system that manages the dam, and it works good for my Hughes lights, maybe it'd work okay for my laptop, too. Right. Yeah, and that's great. But what, you've, what you're not 
picking up on is that the read-only image that we ship out to you is built from Debian right. packages. Yeah. So we can't throw that away. No. We can't get rid of that whole Debian legacy. We we keep that because it works. It's reliable. It's but great does that for us mean, to build that read-only image. But does that mean it has to be a shipping product? What has to be a shipping the product? The Debian version. Like maybe it's just something well, internally it, that the. It is. I mean, you can flip a switch on a fo- on an Ubuntu phone or on this future laptop that you're talking about. Um, you can flip a switch and go from and non- make it read write mm. and then just go app get update app get upgrade Ooh. app get install food. Oh, like oh, that's that. cool. That. Already, I already have my tablet here like that's that. running Ubuntu phone. And I've okay. apt get installed various libraries because I wanted to build some SDL based games on my tablet. But so I, you know, you know where I'm going with this. Right? Is I like the idea of yeah. Here is let's just let's just use today's terms. Like if it was if it's something that existed today. Here's your here's your Ubuntu 14.04 based nice stable desktop. All your applications are in containers. That would really be a pretty incredibly bulletproof Linux desktop. Uh, I like that. I didn't realize you could switch it over to a to a non. Of course, that makes sense, but I just wouldn't think all the components. You can switch would be it there. both ways. Yeah. You can you can flip it back the other way as well. But Seems yeah, like I I agree with you. That's an interesting idea to use these kind of components in you know in in the desktop later on. Having your um, I don't know LibreOffice four dot five in a container yeah. and having LibreOffice. Oh, I want to try out LibreOffice five, but I don't want to screw up my LibreOffice four install. Right. So I have that in a container and I just click a button and it installs it. And you, know, you could even potentially run both side by side. Those are you know kind of panacea that a lot of people have wanted for a long time on any OS, not just on Linux. You know you've been a- wanting to be able to run two different versions of the same application or have two different multiple users of the same machine running two different versions of the same application. And that's just one tiny use case. There's lots of other ways mm-hmm. in which this is cool. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. the underlying components is still Debian. It's still Debian packages that built this thing. So what I go back to then, uh, what I wonder, is if, if, this, if this all rolls out, it, it truly, if this becomes adopted by like OEMs and manufacturers, is really kind of what this space is competing with is probably Android because that's got to be like when when you when you look at a lot of these embedded devices a lot of them are being built for Android so so now Canonical is c- going to try to compete with Android in the mobile phone space and in these low end devices maybe they're going to try to go lower end than the Android devices are but it still seems like there's going to be some cross competition with Google a lot of these things are I- have Android images I like the idea of having a single OS across my um, embedded device, my you know my Beaglebone or whatever other device, my Odroid or whatever, yeah. and my laptop yeah. and my server in the cloud, and I know that there's consistency between them, and that I know that they're all running the same version of libfoo or whatever it is, and I can build my own personal libraries on all of those, mm-hmm. and it will work on all of those. That that is personally appealing to me. If only it was Arch. No. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go and do it, didn't you? Uh, I kid. But yeah, I agree. Like, it is a pretty cool, like, uh, it could be a pretty cool picture once it's all completed, if it gets there. A lot of uncompleted bits as of yet. But it, it, it'll get there eventually, I think. Uh, I don't know. And uh, so I'll have a link in the show notes to uh, Mark's post, big post up about it, uh, and including also his video, which uh, he talks more about. I just played a couple of minutes of it, but you can find the whole video linked in our show notes. Anybody else have any Sounds closing cool. any closing thoughts in the mumble room before we move on to our next topic? Going once, going twice. No, no. Okay, very good. Well, then uh, let's take a moment right here, and I'll tell you about something I like quite a bit, and that's my cell phone provider. That's Ting. Go to linux.ting.com to get started. Linux.ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense. No BS, no tricks, no hidden fees. It's just $6 for your line, and then your minutes 
your messages, your megabytes. They just take that, they add that up, and that's what you pay. And you get hotspot tethering, just turn it on, voicemail, a picture message, all the stuff you'd expect. And they've got a full range of phones from really low-end value, like cheap phones that'll just like get your phones and texts and that's it. It lasts probably like three days or four days or a week because those phones did that. And like it feels like an entire different time. All the way up to the super high end, like go just get a GSM and put it in a Nexus 6 and it's ready to go on the Ting network. Uh, GSM Nexus 6 and also CDMA Nexus 6 in February, you'll be able to use both just like in my Nexus 5. That's a pretty great deal. And you combine that with Ting's no-hold customer service. Now you're starting to really talk because what I have found is the dashboard totally works for me. Everything I need to do with Ting, I can take care of it in the dashboard. I mean everything. Every phone I've gotten from Ting, activating them, transferring them, any of that stuff I can do in the dashboard. I've never needed to call. But just in case mom ever needs to call or just in case Rekai ever needs to call, I don't need to play tech support. Ting has no whole customer service, so I know they can just call 1-855-TING-FTW and a real human being answers the phone. I've got three phones on my Ting account. And I'm paying somewhere in the ballpark between 30 to 40 bucks, 45 bucks, depends if I'm traveling a month for three smartphones, HTC One, Nexus 5, and the iPhone 5. And in fact, if you, if you are of the iPhone uh, variety, I believe Ting has the 4S right now for like 130 bucks, no contract, no early termination fee. You only pay for what you use. That's a pretty good deal. You can go get a whole range of devices. Check them out. Go over to linux.ting.com to get started. They'll give you a $25 discount off your first Ting device. If you already have a Ting-compatible device, they'll give you a $25 service credit. Also, try out the savings calculator. I'm saving like $2,200 a year all right, for every two years now. I'm like, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's like laptop money. That's nuts. That's, I should take that money, and I should buy Bitcoin while it's cheap. But I'm, I'm not, telling you. That's exactly what I do. I I'm, mean, like, yeah, I think I'm too my crazy. last bill was like... T- 20 bucks, 26, I think, something like that. It's something amazing, ridiculous. isn't it? Well, it's, and what I like is that they kind of hedged me into learning to use my uh, my resources as far as like my home internet, for example. I can make calls and texts over internet, which of course saves me money. Yeah, it's no awesome. kidding. Yeah, you just have to be a little savvy and you can save a ton right. of money. And I think most of the audience is. Uh, and also Absolutely. check out the Ting blog. They have some recent posts on how you can set up your podcast catcher so that way it doesn't cost you a bunch of data either. And, you know, that's good for your podcast listeners. Linux.ting.com. Go check them out and help support the Unplugged Show. Linux.ting.com. And a big, big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged Show. So uh, we talked about it a little bit on the Linux Action Show live stream. Uh, Linus and friends were at the uh, LinuxConf AU keynote and they were talking. They're doing just, Linus likes to do just Q&As mostly. He doesn't like to go up there and do big presentations. And that's understandable because he's done them for a long time now and he feels like everybody has a bunch of questions and it keeps it sort of so fresh and so clean. So he was happy with that. Uh, and so a, an interesting couple of things came up. Uh, over the weekend, we heard that Linus made the comment that he doesn't care if he upsets people. And that's what we talked about in the pre-show. And that's what kind of grabbed all of the headlines. And everybody was kind of focused on that. But it turns out there's other couple of bits in that speech that didn't get quite the attention they deserve. I want to start with the first one because it's a popular one in the security community right now around disclosures. And ZDNet did a pretty good write-up about what Linus had to say. Uh, And Linus essentially said that he thinks public issues like this should be disclosed openly, uh, especially for open-source software. But uh, instead of me telling you about it, I'll play it in the man's own words. There's another thing that's been going on, which I find personally very satisfying, which is that people are less willing sometimes to kind of brush the problem under the mat and leave it up to vendors and have disclosure, like infinitely long disclosure times. I'm a huge believer in, in just disclosing 
still somewhat responsibly, but security problems need to be made public. And uh, there are people who argue and have argued for decades that you never want to talk about security problems because that only helps the, uh, the, the black hats. And the fact is that I, I think you absolutely need to report them and you need to report them in a reasonable time frame. Or reasonable for the kernel security list is admittedly five working days, which some people think is a bit extreme. Uh, and, and in other projects it might be a month or a couple of months. But that's still much better than the years and years of silence which we used to have. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, I think right now... Google's uh, disclosure is like 90 days to give you. So the kernel mailing list is five days. That's wow. That's pretty tight. Uh, and so what? if you didn't catch it, if you don't watch TechSnap, what happened kind of recently is Google engineers found some significant bugs in Windows, notified Microsoft. Microsoft took longer than Google's 90 days, and Google publicly disclosed the vulnerability that was in Windows before the patch was available to the public. That happened at the beginning of, like, last year, too. Like, it's happened twice now. And uh, it's kind of created this public feud about how we should disclose vulnerabilities and how we do that when the code itself is is open. Uh, and it's a discussion that's really been going on for, for quite a while. And, yes, uh, we'll have a link to the full video uh, in the show notes. Anybody have any comments in the uh, mumble room about uh, patch disclosures before we move on to his next comment? Yes. i actually just like to add that... Um Regardless, um, it always gives the people also the option to not run the software right. uh, while it uh, until they actually are sure that the release was yeah. made, which is often not considered. They are often just considering the developer side or you know the manufacturer side, and don't think that okay, the user should have an option on what he wants to do. You make an informed choice. Yes, basically. exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. Good point. Uh, okay, so that, that was Linus coming down on that issue. So the security community has sort of been grousing about that, obviously, because he runs a pretty important project where security issues are critical. Uh, so the question came up. This guy got up. Uh, he gets up in front of the audience, and he just starts kind of harping on the kernel de- developers for a little bit. Give them a hard time for not knowing how memory allocation works, maybe, and uh, that the documentation sucks. And so he eventually gets around to asking them, uh, Linus, uh, what the hell is your plan to make kernel documentation better? Because it sucks right now. The question today, I will ask which file manual we should have read. Do you think that documentation of the kernel is appropriate? Uh, Do we have any idea how to improve that? (laughs) Well, I clearly have no idea how to improve documentation in the kernel. This is where... um, Others sometimes step up and do a great job of explaining small details. At the same time, there was a talk yesterday about how uh, programming should be provably correct, and it's, it would be a great thing if we could prove correctness and that we all suck at it. And, and, and I don't take that approach. I'm more of a touchy-feely guy. <laughs> I believe in biological processes and I believe in evolution and I believe in all these making mistakes and trying and uh, we don't have documentation for how humans work but humans work really really well except when they break down Uh, and uh, I actually think 
we're at the stage, and we have been at the stage in kernel development and in a lot of technology, where nobody really understands everything that's going on. The VM- nobody really understands everything that's going on. The VM is very complicated. Uh, so his argument to, you know, he says, like, obviously there's rules and policies that need to be documented. Some of the broader concepts are documented. But uh, it's an ever-changing beast, and just like the human body, it manages to go on without proper documentation. Matt, what is your reaction to that? I think he, you know, he kind of danced around it a little bit, which is kind of <laughs> ironic for Linus. But um, I think he pretty much nailed it. Um, you know, I, I think I think that's really kind of what it is. It's it's trying to kind of find that sweet spot. And yeah, it definitely felt like a bit of a dance. Though. It did feel like a bit of a ballroom uh, yeah. thing as he went along. He tried to nail it down and still sound diplomatic, and it was kind of fun to watch. I don't know how else to put that. Daredevil, and you've heard him make yeah. this uh, comment before. Yes, they actually. I, I've seen Earl, uh, older talks uh, that Linus made, and he actually was talking about that they trying to improve and everything. But the result is people were weren't reading, and they were just making the questions in the mailing list. So the mailing list became the biggest documentation uh, uh, of the kernel. So that makes uh, you know the the persons that are writing documentation not feel as inspired to do that. And of course, that uh, with the speed of the kernel changes, which is like about seven changes. Per hour, something like that. <laughs> it's impossible to document all that. So I, I don't feel like unless you're working with an LTS release and you know it's going to be frozen. I don't think there is really. Mm. You need to get to, get to the cores, and the rest is just the code needs to be self-documenting. And if we enforce that, and you know your code, you should be able to understand what's going on. You just need to know your code. I like that. Also, it makes me feel a lot better about my horrible documentation. And that's what Linus is good at. He's really good at like coming up with sound, rational justifications that make me feel like less of a bad person. And I think that's why sure. I like Linus clips. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, our studio, it's like a human body. It's organic. It's always changing. I don't feel so bad about that. Actually, it does things, right? Yeah. Of course, kernel.org, it does, of course, have some documentation. So yeah. that's true. All right, Mumble Room, closing thoughts go to you. Before we get out of here, anybody have anything else they want to contribute or add? Going once going twice okay very good well then we'll conclude at that matt something we're working on for sunday i don't know if it's going to work out for sure or not because uh well it we have uh we're trying to get uh somebody from the triscoll project lined up for linux action show but oh, wow. as you would expect from the triscoll project there's limitations on the technology we can use to make right. the connection happen so uh, we're working that out right now, probably going to use something like WebRTC or something like that. And if all that goes as planned, we'll have an interview with Triscoll Developer on Sunday's Linux Action Show. But even if we don't, we'll always have something great going on. So I'll see you on Sunday, okay? All right, see you then. All right, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. You know, you can head over to jblive.tv, Tuesdays, 2 p.m. Pacific. Or just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it converted to your local time. Then you join us live, you hang out in the chat room, you can join our virtual lug. We love that. And uh, you can argue with me and Popey. That's always fun. And also, don't forget about that subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Make this a better show. And last but not least, that contact page, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Please send in your feedback. We'd love to read it. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you back here next Tuesday.
I feel like this show, this episode was like a freight train. Like, it was just moving right along. Yeah, it really did. Reading emails, it? calling guests, playing clips, reading emails, calling. No, it was, it was <laughs> moving right along. Uh, JavidTottles.com. Yeah. Will, will Unfilter be like a mumble edition tonight or no? I don't know if we can because of having to get like a backup stream going. I might need that computer for backup audio stream, but... Uh, okay, just wondering. Uh, I'll, I'm going to say no now, but it is going to be. Hmm, it would be a it. pleasant surprise if yeah, it happens, and yeah. if not, no worries. I hope people can join us live. Unfilter is going to yeah. be. It's going to be fun doing that live coverage of the State of the Union. Uh, JBTitles.com. JBTitles.com. Oh, that's right. People are talking tonight. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Yep, the people are talking I, yeah. about the cyber. That whole tonight. TV thing. I always get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish we could stop calling it cyber. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, no kidding. Yes, <laughs> cyber, Cybertron. Yeah. So I was going to ask you guys: Did you see this uh, Mint PC? It's a Mint Mini box. It's tiny. It's like smaller than a Nuck. It's uh-huh. eighty nine bucks. It comes with Ubuntu fourteen oh four. It's the it's the version two. There's been a Mint box before. This is version two. It's got an wait, AMD. Wait, 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 wait. You said it comes with Ubuntu fourteen oh four. That's what I just you said. You mean it comes with Mint? No, that's what it says. But you're right. It would. Why would it? Why would they say Ubuntu fourteen oh four? That doesn't make any sense. It must it's come also, with Mint. No. I must be misreading it. I think you. you it comes with Mint, which is based on Ubuntu fourteen oh four. Oh, is that what they're saying? It comes with Mint, but it's also not eighty nine dollars. The one I saw. Oh, I am looking like at everyone. Two hundred and something dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is this now that see. Yeah, I'm looking. You know what? I'm looking at an Intel one. I'm looking at this. It's okay. eighty nine bucks. That's that's not bad. But boy, when you start looking at the specs and AMD and AMD CPU, I just don't. I don't know. At eighty nine bucks, I mean, they could Am literally I, have it running with hamsters. Well, that's, that's the expected, Intel version. But, you know. No, that's the Intel version. Oh. Eighty nine bucks. I don't know. I mean, it might just a the I mint know. box that I saw that that's that two ninety five minty green white. Yeah, it's two ninety five. Yeah. It's two ninety five USD and also two ninety five euros. Yeah, pound. yeah. Two ninety five though just doesn't seem like oof. at two ninety five. I expect Intel. Uh, I yeah, would, I want to knock. I would never. Point. I would never go in. I don't get it. Who are these for? Probably the same people did the mint, the um, whatever the previous one was, the mint I, box, or the maybe mint like thing. maybe or businesses, right? Like if you're going to deploy uh, a whole bunch of mint workstations or something, I guess. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, Nut can still do all of that and still yeah. have technically better hardware. You could get, you could spend less money and get like twice as much RAM. Ah, yeah. uh, but the, remember the remember the, and, and multi billion dollar businesses is built around this philosophy: make it out of the box. Don't make someone else have to do it. And so some and that may be what they're targeting is they're providing an out of the box experience yeah. versus the buy a nuck and do it yeah. yourself, which is my right. preference. But, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. That's what it is. Right. That's what it yeah. yeah. must be. Must be. What do you guys think of Unity of Things as our title? You like Unity? I, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Interview. <laughs> yeah, we do have the interview in there too. Should that be the Should that be the lead? I, I think it should. I think so. I actually suggested building builder. Building builder is not bad. Build a gnome. Uh, build a gnome's good. Building that's builder. Actually, I see. I, I don't know though. I feel like it's going to. I think a lot of people aren't going to know what we're talking about with that title. Well, it sounds like Bob the Builder or something. It just seems off. Oh, so. now you got that stuck in my head, Matt. Hey, just not Fraggle Rock going on in your brain. You're all right, dude. I'm still running Firefox here. Yeah, that's your that's your bad. You just. You're I'm just, still bitching about it. Yeah. I'm still running. <laughs> You're just punishing it. yourself. You're punishing yourself. So, right. Popey, what what is not good about Firefox from your point of view? So, I had to uninstall Flash, which you know, arguably is you know a good thing for some people, but I had to uninstall it because it caused the browser to crash. Oh. Uh, I then had to disable the Cisco H two six four plugin because that caused the browser to crash. So now I have no. H.264 built-in video playback in Firefox and no Flash playback. So what are you doing so, to that stuff? But, uh, I'm not. 
I, I go to my BBC News website and it says embedded flash. You don't have flash. So I then copy and paste that into a command line window wow. where I then get a VLC or yep. whatever window pop up and I can play my video yep. that way. So, yeah, I feel like I'm 1990s Linux guy. I don't know. What you know the heck? If you think about it, though, like most of the time, you, out of all the stuff that plays on a website, you only want like 1% of it. So it's, if you have like Gwake or, or something like that, you drop down the terminal, you drop in a URL. It's not that bad, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's not so bad. It's so, just not seamless. So I'm, yeah. I'm, running, I'm running Firefox and I'm, I'm preparing a, a blog article about Fire, uh, Firefox versus Chrome for UK streaming services. So, and, and long story short is once I put the um, HAL stub in, which just does the crypto bits for Flash, on Firefox, I can watch all of the UK streaming services. Mm. But on Chrome, I can't watch, I think it's Channel 4 and uh, uh, Amazon Prime. And of course, I can't watch Netflix because there's no EME. But apart from from Netflix, uh, Firefox with Flash and a stub for HAL, I can watch all of the major UK streaming services. And on Chrome, I can't. I can only watch To be fair, Firefox, uh, Mozilla have just put out a new version of Firefox. So what I'll do is I'll go through the same rigmarole and I'll reinstall Flash and see if that makes any difference. And I'll, I'll reinstall, I, I'll re-enable the Cisco plugin and see I if it's made any difference. I, I was did just this on my boxing saying. day, though, so this was, you know, the last version that I was using, and I've never had a problem with the H.264 codec, or other than the well, I only the flash implementation the, well, is ancient. The I've only pro- reason I had a the only reason I had a problem with the H.264 plugin is because I disabled flash, and I went yes. to Imgur or Imgur or whatever you call it, and it detects that I don't have flash and serves me up H.264 video adverts, mm-hmm. and it was an H.264 video oh advert. Oh my god. That, hmm. That crashed the browser, hmm. and it's in a light bug report to to Mozilla and all that. And you know, I'm sure someone will look at that and go, huh, "Fancy," but you know, it, I I will try it again with the new version because I'm there sticking was, with it. You know, there was a total. There was a total. Uh, they pulled in a new revision of the Open H two six four codec uh, for this the newest version of Firefox. But I don't know if that will fix Sweet. things. But <laughs> oh, well, that I'll get it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, as a Windows user and a Linux user. Flash is always a culprit with yeah. Firefox. If Absolutely. we ever get rid of Flash, we'll be rid of these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, see, that's I the flip side is I've actually, having got rid of it on my system, I, you know, I haven't got it on there at all. I, you know, arguably, I'm actually a better person. You know, I feel I feel like I'm a net contributor to humanity Good job, by not Bobby. having Flash installed. Good yeah, job, absolutely. Well, You're a hero. Well, if you really, if you want yeah. Flash, you can go and do Fresh Player plugin, and that allows Pepper Flash to be used inside of Firefox. And that actually solves, like, I have not had a single problem with Firefox, specifically Flash problems with Firefox, since I did that. And I run nightly, and that's incumbent with bugs. Hey, so Chris, have mm. you, see, you see how we've successfully derailed your uh, I'm going to try KDE into oh, that was good. Yeah, another rant about Firefox? That's good. No, that's all I had for the KDE thing anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> for now, for now, for now. Hmm. <laughs> I uh, I I don't know. I, I see. To me, it just seems like it's just all this stuff isn't worth it. There's more stuff to do in the day than fight this stuff. So what I I just feel like if I need Chrome, I mean, if I need Flash, I use Chrome, and I just have I have Chrome from Google, not Chromium. I'm choosing Chrome from Google, and that's where my Flash happens. And then I do other stuff in my other browsers, 
And that works so, fine for me. I, I, I disagree. I don't think there are enough things in the day to cause us pain, okay. which is why right now I'm attempting to install MS-DOS 6.22 on my laptop. You are crazy. More pain. You are crazy. Yeah. 